Come on in to Margaret McSweeney's Kitchen for Kitchen Chat, where every week you'll meet chefs, cookbook authors, foodies, gourmets, and just plain people who love to eat. And along with laughter, chat, recipes, and stories about food, you'll sometimes also hear words of inspiration, love, and hope. As Margaret always says, Kitchen Chat is food for the senses and food for the soul. So grab a cup of coffee, put your feet up on a comfy chair, and get ready to spend a little time with Margaret and her friends. Hello, dear foodie friends, and welcome to Kitchen Chat. This is your host, Margaret McSweeney. I'm so glad you're joining me in my kitchen today, and I'm so excited about today's guest, Jack Bishop, who is the Chief Creative Officer for America's Test Kitchen, is joining us today from Boston, and he has a fantastic book out. You are just going to love this. I, As I was telling him earlier, I devoured my way through his fabulous book called Tasting Italy. And I'm going to make sure that we have a link for this. And it's so exciting. I can't wait for him to share with us the history because this was a very important and unique creative collaboration with National Geographic and America's Test Kitchen, uh, featuring a 100 kitchen-tested recipes. And Jack Bishop takes us on this culinary journey. So welcome to Kitchen Chat, Jack. Thank you. Great to be chatting with you today. Oh, well, if we could set the table for this culinary journey, there's a lot of Italy to cover, and I have a greater appreciation of this fine country now. But if you could set the table, how did it, how did this collaboration begin with National Geographic and America's Test Kitchen? And what was the inspiration and impetus behind it? So editors at America's Test Kitchen and editors at National Geographic just met and started chatting about what we were working on. And the more that we were talking to each other, we realized we had a unique opportunity because we have a similar approach to quality content and telling stories, but we have very different strengths. And that if we worked together, we could tell the story of Italy and its food in a way that nobody else had done it before. And that would include photographs and maps from National Geographic, travel essays from people who've lived in Italy that could take us to different places, also from National Geographic, along with recipes and recipe photographs from America's Test Kitchen that would allow you to bring Italy to life in your own kitchen. And so we started working on this three years ago, and it's been just so much fun. And it's just a fun, unique look at all things Italy and all things food. Yes, and and there's so many things I can't wait to chat about. First of all, were you able to accompany National Geographic on any of these travels? I am still waiting. The invitation, (laughs) you know, might... They know where to find me. Um, uh, I've, I've been to Italy. I've lived in Italy. I've traveled in Italy. But for the course of working on this book, unfortunately, I did not get to go to Italy for this. Um, photographers did. Uh, travel writers. Um, our part here at America's Test Kitchen was really in the kitchen developing recipes. Well, you brought Italy to our tables. 
Thank you. Yes. yes. So, um, uh, and really, uh, as I say, I've uh, I grew up uh, with an Italian grandmother, and so I've been eating and thinking about Italy for fifty plus years. Oh well, I am excited about this journey, and I love the way how it begins. So you provide a foreword. I, I loved that, but also how it begins that Italian food isn't the result of a single culinary style. It's a mosaic of many cooking traditions that stem from each province's geography and climate, agriculture, history, and culture. And that became so evident as you take us through, you and National Geographic, take us through the provinces of Italy with the unique ingredients and and beautiful photographs, the history, and uh, how Europe really became a culinary gateway uh, to Italy and north and the northern region. So, it, and and in setting the table and the stage for this book, there were three major regions. Is that right? That were that were the focus. Yes. So the book is organized into three general sections, northern Italy, central Italy, and southern Italy. And then within those um, three big parts of the book, we look at the 20 different administrative regions, really the equivalent of a state in the United States. Um, And the reason why we took this approach is because of a variety of factors. Uh, Political, Italy wasn't a unified country until the 1870s, so there was a lot of autonomy and wasn't the sort of unifying force that, for instance, the um, monarchy in France had, uh, where there was some consistency throughout France for centuries about certain elements of the cuisine. None of that happened in Italy until really recently. Um, The geography, you know, because it's a very long, uh, narrow country that it covers a lot of latitude. So, you know, it's 600 miles, despite the fact that it's a small country that starts in the Alps, where the climate is, as you might imagine, snowy in the winter. Um, And the ingredients there are lots of cheese and corn and buckwheat um, uh, and butter down to the south, to Sicily and Calabria, where it's hot and it's sunny and it's olive oil and it's tomatoes. And so... um, Organizing it into these 20 regions allowed us to tell the story of each of these regions, its cultural traditions, and its ingredients and food. And speaking of ingredients, I mean, there are so many exotic ingredients, of course, from Italy, including uh, the famous white uh, or the truffles, the white diamonds of Italy. And I'd love to uh, chat about that. But in addition to the truffles and other exotic uh, ingredients, there, of of course, is Nutella, (laughs) which has become quite a staple, of course, for uh, us here in the United States. States. Yeah, and most people don't really understand where it comes from. It comes from the Piedmont in northwestern uh, Italy. Um, hazelnuts are our local ingredient. Obviously, they're they're making chocolate there. Um, uh, they're not growing chocolate there, but it is a major product. 
and center of all things chocolate. Um, and, you know, it's just fun to sort of understand the backstory of uh, Nutella, where it comes from, and then how you see, for instance, chocolate and hazelnuts together and separately um, coming out in the cuisine of that region uh, with recipes um, that highlight uh, both of those ingredients. Yes. And and the white truffle, if we could chat about that and, and provide the listeners with a real appreciation of, I, I cannot believe that people pay as much as $3,600 a pound and travel all the way to Alba and the Piedmont uh, region to to experience this and have a bit of topping on their risotto. What how how did the truffle discovery begin? And if you could just share with us about that rich cultural tradition of truffle hunting and and what makes it so valuable, where it's called the white diamond of Italy. So the black truffles, which some people may be familiar with, which we generally associate with France, Italy has white truffles. And um, they are aromatic. They're delicious. I still remember my first meal in Italy. I was 20 years old. I got off an overnight train from Germany in Florence, uh, went with a friend in Florence to a restaurant that she knew. Um, and we had a bowl, I still recall, of tagliatelle that had been tossed with some butter and Parmesan. And then they came to the table and shaved white truffle, um, much like you would shave Parmesan over the bowl of pasta. And oh my heavens, even before you, I dug in, the aroma was just intoxicating, the flavor amazing. Amazing, uh, and it's an experience um, that is unparalleled, really, in the culinary world. It is just incredibly delicious. Wow. Oh, that is my dream. One day to sample a white truffle and go truffle hunting <laughs> in Italy. Have you, have you gone truffle hunting? Have you had that experience? I have gone truffle eating, but not truffle hunting. But it is, you know, it involves uh, animals, dogs that are out there uh, finding these um, truffles that are growing um, uh, at the base, at the roots of oak trees or hazelnut trees and, you know, finding them and then um, obviously digging them up. And they are, as you say, they are incredibly valuable at up to $3,600 a pound. Wow. Do they last long? I mean, what is the storage like? I mean, how does one storage? You can't really put it in a vault, I guess. (laughs) How does one store a truffle and how long does it last? Um, it will last for several weeks, maybe several months um, under refrigeration. You know, it's why we see a lot of truffle oils. Frankly, many of those aren't very good, um, but they try to impart the truffle into the oil as a way of prolonging the way that it lasts. But, um, you know, truffles are really a seasonal uh, product and that fall comes October and November and it is truffle season. Um, and that, you know, that it is not something that is appearing on restaurant menus year round. It's, we have some local truffles, um, you know, when they shave it over a bowl of pasta, uh, it's a 10 or $20 supplement. I mean, it's not, um, you know, you're not getting very much truffle, but the aroma is just intoxicating and a small amount goes a very, very long way. Oh, 
That sounds delicious. And I love all of the wonderful recipes that accompany this culinary journey through your book. I also love the history, too, as we travel to, and pardon my Italian pronunciation, I'll need your help here, um, for classic recipes from Liguria. Is that how you say that? You've got it perfect. Um, Yes. (laughs) And I love the history. If you could share about it, it's amazing. The history, the culinary history of focaccia. Yeah, so focaccia is the... um, you know, it's a relative of pizza. In a sense, it's a yeasted uh, dough that is cooked in rounds or squares. Um, unlike pizza, it's usually topped very lightly. Um, so in Liguria, which is also in the northwest, that's where Genoa is, so it's along the sea, it's often just rosemary, um, olive oil, and uh, nice salt um, uh, that is uh, used as the topping. Um, you know, if you see uh, something labeled focaccia that has tomatoes and cheese on it, it's like, no, that's just pizza. Uh, that's not focaccia. Um, uh, you know, focaccia is um, snack. Um, in schools will often be, um, I don't know if it's just happenstance, but located near bakeries where kids can run out uh, in the middle of the day and get a slice of warm focaccia as a snack. Um, which is just such a great tradition. And um, it's chewy um, focaccia. Uh, It is usually cooked in a pan um, rather than on a uh, baking stone um, so that it gets a really crispy bottom and you can put some olive oil in that pan so it kind of almost fries in the oil as it cooks. It is one of my favorite foods to get fresh from a bakery whenever I'm in uh, Logoria. Oh, that does sound delicious. And as we move to, I guess it's Lombardy, I was so intrigued to read about how (laughs) upon the advice of their doctors, royal households in Renaissance Milan coated their food with a dusting of gold as a remedy for heart ailments. What was this about? <laughs> I, you know what? This doesn't sound very scientific to me. Um, <laughs> but, um, you know, Milan is perhaps um, today and historically the wealthiest region within Italy. And, um, you know, it's an interesting bit of... Um, cultural history and food history um, that ends up um, sort of being reflected still in some of the the dishes. So this is also the land of saffron, uh, the world's most expensive spice that shows up in the traditional uh, risotto of the dish that I like to think this is, that's the modern um, uh, descendant of, you know, gold on your food is saffron on your food. Wow. (laughs) Yeah. So so they no longer put flecks of gold on their food then? Not as a regular thing, and it's not going to help with, I don't think, heart health. <laughs> Although I like the fun concept of that. And I think it's so appropriate, of course, with the holidays uh, upon us that uh, you share in the book uh, local flavor holiday bread, panettone. 
Yes. Um, you know, this is, it's the big cylindrical bread. It's um, sweet, but not terribly sweet. It has candied fruits, dried fruits, nuts. Uh, it's shaped kind of like a hat box that it comes in. Um, and it's, you know, for bread bakers, it's related perhaps to brioche. Um, uh, it's a sweetened yeast dough. Uh, it's very eggy and delicious and is a um, really tradition throughout um, Italy that people are giving each other a panettone, although this is a northern Italian tradition, as you said, from uh, Lombardy. Oh, I love that. And and speaking of baking, I think that is one of the business, I guess, biggest challenges for many of the listeners uh, in baking. As the guru there at America's Test Kitchen, can you share maybe a baking tip for the holidays? A baking tip. I'm going to give you two baking tips. One is... Parchment paper is your friend. Um, (laughs) When it comes to lining baking sheets for uh, baking all of those holiday cookies, uh, rather than spraying them um, or using foil, invest in parchment paper. It's just a wonderful invention. It allows you um, to cook batch after batch after batch, and then you don't have to clean up the pan because, of course, it's been lined with parchment paper. Um, My other tip is... Odds are that if someone has not calibrated your oven in the last couple of years, that it's probably uh, not at the temperature you think it is. And so invest in an oven thermometer um, so that you can see when you set your oven to 375, is it actually 375? We've done this. Um, We've sent oven thermometers home with the staff and found that, uh, and these are people who, you know, work at America's Test Kitchen so that they cook a lot at home, that temperatures ranged by 100 degrees. Um, when we ask people to set their ovens to 350, some people, will, their ovens were at 300 and one, some were at 400 and everywhere in between. And so you will get different differences. And while you can go get your oven t- calibrated, you can also just do it yourself and turn the oven dial up or down a little bit to hit the desired temperature. Interesting. Now, is there a specific uh, thermometer that you recommend or promote on your website? Yes, you know, as you as you know, we review um thousands of pieces of kitchen equipment, including little oven thermometers um, that you can hang from uh, the rack in your oven. And that's really the best thing to do. And then you can just check uh, to see that when you're using um, your oven that it's at the right temperature. The the one that we like, it's $8. I mean, it's a cheap investment. Uh, It's made by a company called CDN. So it's the CDN pro-accurate oven thermometer. And you can come to the America's Test Kitchen website for more information. But um, really just having an oven thermometer and checking uh, can save a lot of holiday baking mishaps where you feel like you're constantly burning things and it's, well, it's because your oven is running hotter than you think it is. Well, now I have an excuse <laughs> of why things have burnt. So thank you. Yeah. Oh, and continuing our journey. I mean, oh, I, can, I you, you will so enjoy 
these recipes, dear foodie friends. It makes a great holiday gift, a gift for any season, uh, for that uh, seasoned traveler in your life uh, and uh, a foodie in your life as well, or just a gift for yourself. And I'm going to make sure I have a link to this. But I feel that we also need to talk about prosciutto and how it goes from terroir to table. Uh, what is what is the history of prosciutto? Why is it so special, and uh, especially di Parma? And um, how does it really accentuate a, a dish and some of the recipes that you prepared? So this is the great uh, ham product of Italy. Um, they're actually... Uh, two uh, consortiums uh, that actually regulate the manufacture of um, prosciutto. So it is really just the cured, uh, salt-cured and air-dried leg of the pig. Um, The two um, consortiums, one is from Parma in Emilia-Romana, and the other is from a region called, uh, a little further north, called San Daniele. We see the Parma um, uh, ham more... uh, traditionally here. It's aged um, at least 10 months, sometimes longer, uh, has to be sliced very thin. Uh, It is eaten both on the antipasto table, so with cheeses or olives, and then ends up in a lot of Italian recipes, often at the very end in a pasta dish, for instance. It's salty, it's sweet, it's porky. It's just absolutely delicious and makes everything it touches taste better. Oh, that sounds great. I love, too, how you highlighted this wonderful um, woman alchemist, Maria de Cleofa from Tuscan. Can you share with us why she is so special? Well, I think one of the things that we really wanted to do throughout the book was to highlight these interesting stories. I mean, this is what National Geographic does. Um, And introduce you to either contemporary individuals or historical individuals who just have unique stories. Um, And, um, you know, for her, um, it is a uh, something that is known uh, as it, we really know it here in French as a bon marie. Um, so it's, you know, a uh, double boiler. Um, or when you are baking, for instance, custards, creme brulees, you put them in a roasting pan filled with water, which is called a, um, a bon marie. Um, uh, but it's, you know, it's otherwise known as Mary's bath or Maria's bath. Um, and so this notion of... Um, very gently cooking custards and puddings, uh, things with eggs could otherwise curdle through steam that comes from the double boiler rather than direct heat. Yes, I am so glad that you included that story. And uh, that was, I'll have a greater appreciation (laughs) for her and the region as well, knowing uh, that she invented this double boiler. It's just fascinating. And and readers, you will just stumble upon these amazing stories and and get a taste of history, truly. Uh, Of course, we must talk about desserts. What was your favorite uh, dessert recipe through the travels in Italy? So I feel like we have not talked much 
southern Italy, so I'm going to take us south yes, to Sicily. Please, please. And this is the land of desserts and the land of pistachio gelato. <laughs> and and this is a recipe that makes sense to make at home because you really can't buy good pistachio gelato or ice cream. Um, you know, gelato is creamier, denser um, than ice cream. Uh, it's enriched uh, with eggs, and it's usually served at a little bit warmer temperature, which makes it softer and also makes the flavors uh, more apparent. You know, the colder something is, the harder it is to taste it. And i got to say, I love pistachio gelato, and if you've never made ice cream at home, it's the same process to make gelato and ice cream. Um, it's just a great taste of Sicily. Oh, that does sound great. And so, really, southern Italy is known uh, for those sweets and also coffee and some wine. And what do you think makes that, you know, what do you think uh, accentuates that? Is it the terroir? Yeah, so it's, you know, this is the land of sunshine, it's warm, it's hot, so, you know, this is also the land of olive oil and tomatoes. Um, it's also, uh, you know, a, a Arab influence. So, for instance, the pistachio gelato uh, comes very much out of uh, the Middle Ages when uh, Sicily, for instance, was ruled by the, the Arabs. And so there are influences from North Africa uh, and from the Eastern Mediterranean that you would never see in some place like Liguria or the Piedmont in the north. And so the cuisine is very different and um, delicious in a different way. Wow. And once again, it comes back to how the book begins about how Italy is a mosaic. And you truly bring the mosaic of recipes and flavor and history of Italy into this beautiful, beautiful book. It's truly like it should be part of everyone's collection called Tasting Italy with National Geographic and America's Test Kitchen. So, Jack, was there an ingredient through the Italian experience here that that was a surprise to you? An ingredient that was a surprise, something that I hadn't tasted before, or with you know, just within the discovery of um, this culinary journey. It's a good question. I want to say that I was surprised by something. Um, I had a new found appreciation for humble escarole. So it's sitting in our supermarkets right now. We walk past it. We have no idea what to do with it. And the, one of my favorite recipes in the book comes from Apulia, also in southern Italy. And it has um, it's a puree of potatoes and fava beans that is topped with uh, garlicky sautéed escarole. Oh. And I think most Americans don't think that you could cook with it. Uh, I love escarole in soups. Um, it's just delicious. And it's one of those things as we, we head towards the winter and we think there are not that many great vegetables in our typical supermarket. Escarole is always there. It's delicious. Um, and Italians really know what to do with it. Oh, that is great. And you have a recipe in here featuring that ingredient? 
Yes, we do. And so um, it was had a sort of newfound uh, appreciation for Escarole based on how we ended up using it in the book. Oh, fantastic. I'm eager to look at that. Well, in addition to the book, you have a lot on your plate, of course, with America's Test Kitchen. Can you please provide the listeners with a sneak peek at any upcoming episodes? Yeah, so we're we're always filming more episodes of our um, two shows, America's Test Kitchen and Cook's Country. They run on public television. Please tune in and watch us at work. But I think one of the most exciting things is we just launched a couple of weeks ago a brand new podcast. Uh, the name of the podcast is Proof. P-R-O-O-F, you know, like you proof uh, uh, bread dough. And it's hosted by my good friend and colleague on the television show, Bridget Lancaster. And it tells interesting backstories about food. For instance, where did tiki bars come from? Did you know that celery was the kale or the Brussels sprouts of the Victorian era and was the most popular vegetable in America 100 years ago or 125 years ago? And so interesting stories. um, Where do food cravings come from uh, that will delight and uh, amuse you? And you can wherever you listen to your podcast, you can find uh, uh, episodes of proof and you should download them and listen. Oh, I love this. I'm going to subscribe. And uh, I, I do hope that future journeys, I would love to go truffle hunting with you in Italy. That sounds amazing. Yes, that would be so incredible. And I hope that National Geographic will collaborate once again with America's Test Kitchen and explore the world. What would be the next country you think would be exciting? Oh, how about Mexico? Yes. Or France? Yes. Oh, they all sound terrific. I hope that this will be the first of many collections of culinary journeys with the history and photos through National Geographic and the recipes through you and America's Test Kitchen. And Jack, I always like to end the show. I know you've given us some two great baking tips, but in general, what would you say are three top tips for the home chef? Taste your food before you serve it. <laughs> You're not going to know if it tastes good and is properly seasoned unless you've actually tasted it. Um, don't ever apologize. You cooked. You're a hero. You know, don't say, oh, I wish that, that you know, it, it had come out different. People should be grateful. And you can do more than you think. It's not rocket science. Anyone can cook. Everybody's grandmother or great-grandmother um, was able to cook. You could cook today. Uh, just go in and do it. And it's fine. If you make some mistakes, you still get dinner um, or dessert. So enjoy. Jack, I needed to hear these tips today. Thank you so much, especially the don't apologize. A couple of Thanksgivings ago, my pecan pie caught on fire in the oven just as the guests were coming in because I didn't realize how flammable bourbon is. <laughs> It happens, Um, and there is no reason for you to apologize. (laughs) Even when the fire department comes over. (laughs) It it makes an amazing story, so um, uh, that's fine. (laughs) 
Thank you so much, Jack, not only for giving us all confidence in the kitchen through all of your resources with your new podcast, Proof. I'll make sure I have a link to that. Uh, this wonderful new book in collaboration with National Geographic, Tasting Italy, all the wonderful other books, and of course, your show, America's Test Kitchen. Thank you so much for being on Kitchen Chat. Thank you. You have a great day. Thank you. You too. And thank you, dear foodie friends, for joining the journey. And make sure you follow um, Jack on his new podcast. I'll make sure I have the links and visit me in my kitchen, kitchenchat.info. And always remember to take a moment and savor the day. Thanks for joining Margaret for Kitchen Chat today. Margaret would be so excited for you to drop by and visit with her at kitchenchat.info, where you'll enjoy podcasts, blogs, recipes, tips from chefs, and even great giveaways. She invites you to share your recipes and kitchen stories, too. As Margaret always says, savor the day.